You're listening to The Worship Review, a podcast which evaluates contemporary Christian music for the good of the church to the glory of God. This podcast is for the whole church to encourage thoughtful engagement with the words, emotions, and ideas in our music. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of The Worship Review. This is a podcast, if you couldn't tell already, and we charitably critically evaluate the songs that are sung amongst Christians in churches. In fact, right now we are looking at some of the most popular songs that are sung in virtually any church. And we are critiquing those songs, pros, cons, and then also giving a rating. And the people that are doing that on this podcast, if you don't know us, my name is Colin. I am a history professor and just an all-around good guy. And my co-host and friend, as always on this podcast, is Tyler. Indeed. Hi. A man of few words, Tyler is. So today we are looking at a song called Oh Praise the Name, Anastasis? Yes, we certainly are, by uh, Hillsong. done a few Hillsong songs. We're going to do another one. And by the way, after this episode, folks, we turn to the music of Christmas Advent season. So stay tuned for that starting next week. Every year, I guess we can start to say that now because it's our second year doing this. We have a little foray into Christmas tunes, as you will. We aren't ending this series. We're just putting some brackets. And then we'll come right back to it after the end of that jolly season. Okay, so let's... Just occurred to me, I don't know what the name Hillsong means. I just realized. Yeah, we've just never researched this. This compound of hill and song. um, I don't know quite what it means. I imagine it's a song sung in the hills or on a hill, perhaps Mount Zion. Maybe that's what they're intending. Or... Perhaps it's a, I look uh, to the hills, whence yeah. cometh my help sort of thing. But I, I, just in reflecting on this, I realized I have no idea what their name means. We're going to need to find that out sometime, Tyler. Yeah, I should do the hard work of researching this. We'll do, we'll, we'll bring that to you soon. Okay. Listeners. So Tyler, let's focus on, oh, praise the name. Yeah. Anastasis. Maybe you can say some things about what this song is about broadly. Yeah. I can. I can do that. So this is a song. It's about Jesus. It's about his... Well, thank goodness for that. Yes, indeed. It's about his earthly life, particularly his death on the cross, on Calvary specifically, on his um, death, on his resurrection, and um, on his second coming, as we call it, the time when he will come again. And the refrain, the chorus, the part that's repeated the most in this song is a call to praise the name of the Lord. So it is about Jesus and it is directing his people to praise him. Okay. That all sounds pretty good so far, Tyler. Let's oh, 
Oh. And of course, the subtitle of the song. Oh yeah, you should tell us about this. It, what, what is this? It's an English transliteration of the Greek word anastasis, which simply means resurrection from ana meaning again and stasis standing. So it is. it could be called resurrection, but I think they wanted to make it um, a little bit more snazzy. So they gave it this Greek name and they even include a, uh, an accent mark on the second A. Oh, wow. So, you know they're serious. Very authentic. Yep. Maybe also because, whatever it is, oh, praise the name, this might get lost in the shuffle. There may have been <laughs> one or two songs. Oh, praise very the one similar, who yeah. that, who raised this life up <laughs> Probably even dead. within Hillsong's own catalog, right? Yeah. So at some point, they need to differentiate it. What? But ironically, obviously thematically, the concept of the resurrection comes up. But this phrase, anastasis, does not. And so it requires some level of inside knowledge to know mm. what that thing is doing there. If you were a completely new convert, say, to Christianity, and someone said, oh, do you want to listen to a praise of the name anastasis? Um, it might not even occur to you that that is a, a Greek noun or that it means resurrection. No, so, you'd be like, what is this name, anastasis, and yeah. why am I praising it? Yeah, exactly. Who's anastasis? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into the nitty-gritty here, Tyler. I cast my mind to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet My Savior on that cursed tree so the first verse goes something like this. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. Okay, so we have four lines of E rhymes. Of course, the feet were allowed to permit this final T, even though the rest of them don't have the T. But that's really not what we're doing here on this podcast. Yeah, we don't is critique it the rhyming. Um, I cast my mind to Calvary. now. This is interesting. Obviously, what's meant is I direct my thoughts yeah. to Calvary. Would you say that? Yeah. I mean, not not I pick up my brain out of my head and I throw it. Right. But cast does mean throw. Right. right? That he is without sin. <laughs> cast the first stone. Yeah. Right. Cast your bread upon the waters. And so I think we can say this is a little bit of um a... Uh, an idiomatic use of the yeah. phrase cast my mind. I looked in the Oxford English Dictionary for various different collocations that go with mind, um, to be of a mind or to have a mind to do something. I did not find cast. So yeah. I think this is pretty novel yeah, for so Hillsong too. to do. But it's it's clear what they mean. They mean to direct one's thoughts. But it, it's funny because it sounds like someone is throwing their mind in a certain direction. I was wondering if this comes out of the vernacular that's evolved in the last maybe 10 years or so of vision casting. Like oh, okay. You, it, this is a big thing in some churches to have, to cast a vision. Like this is the role of the pastor is to cast a vision. Hmm. And so this is something like, you know, by vision, this means like a plan or some kind of thinking or mission. And it seems like you could see how that could evolve if someone was using those sorts of terms in a church or or amongst a group of people that they might then innovate to say oh i cast my thinking oh i cast my mind right yeah 
Yeah, possibly. My mind, I, it's funny that I use that word, but and when I read this, I thought initially of the uh, Palantir. In, oh, right. Uh, the yeah. where you can actually kind of cast your eye or your mind yeah. into a different place and see what's going on there. And um, That's not what they mean here, of course. Um, but there's an interesting and ironic subtext to this, because you mentioned the brain, which it, we understand um, to be the seat, the, the anatomical seat of neurological thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, that hasn't always been the case. But if you think about casting the brain to Calvary, well, what is Calvary? Calvary is simply oh, a Latin noun, meaning good. the... Sc- um, <laughs> they, I don't think that they no, would think of that... Um, and it's just funny because I don't, right. we, we use Calvary as a proper noun a lot, but I don't know how aware people are that it simply means the skull. Right. Or the I place cast of the skull. my mind to the skull. Yes. It was like headbanging maybe yeah, or something. Or something like, like I pick it out of my head and I go and throw it into somebody else's head. Like yep. this is a movie with, uh, you know, Nick Cage and yeah. John Travolta. Yeah. I mean, that was the change faces. In that. Face off, right? Yeah. It, content warning, by the way, don't, don't go show <laughs> that um, necessarily. But in any event, this person casts their mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me, which is true. Uh, Jesus did bleed and die there for his people. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. So it's referencing his various uh, physical wounds that he bore on Calvary, and also during his passion leading up mm-hmm. to Calvary, and still bears to this day and will bear. Um, into eternity. Um, Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, referring to Deuteronomy 21.23. And so uh, Christ uh, did hang on a cursed tree. He did become um, a curse for us to redeem us from the curse that uh, followed from our sin. Yeah, it's nice that they go straight to the cross yes in this song it's interesting to me and i think this will be interesting certainly as i think about the song as a whole that this first verse goes to the cross through the person's sensory experience Hmm. so the person is saying basically i think about calvary and then i see his wounds and and so the person is isn't just saying he was wounded or or that he died, they're saying, I see it. Yeah. Right. So there's a, there's a mediation there going on. And one of the things that I find interesting about this song is we enter the song through the subject. We enter the song, not through just kind of a, an unmediated vision as it were of Calvary, but we enter it through somebody telling us they are thinking about Calvary, but then we, we depart from that pretty quickly in the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that the verbs here, after the mind is cast to Calvary, so to speak, after the person begins this thought, um, and it's not an idle thought. Of course, it's it's a very good thought. We should be considering the cross and its implications. Um, the verbs are all indicative. So it's not saying um, where Jesus would bleed and would die for me, but it's it's stating something. It's yeah. indicating something about the real world. Mm-hmm. This is Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me historically. So 
I think that's good. All right. Um, it, you know, it just reminds me a little bit of how deep the father's love for us. It's kind of similar where the person is kind of describing what they see on the cross and we're kind of, we, we almost have a protagonist in the song. Mm -hmm. Behold the us. man upon the cross. Yeah. Like my, my his sin. shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Upon his shoulders. Uh, is it sin or guilt? I can't remember. No, my sin. My sin. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, anyway, it's kind of an interesting way to, to, to bring us to the cross in kind of through a, almost a character, an unnamed and undefined character, but nevertheless, there's like, there's somebody there. Yeah. And it's curious. Do you think that the uh, creators of the song want each of the people in the audience to uniquely be casting their minds on uh, this moment? I think so. Yeah. I think that's the point. Yeah. yeah. All right. Then we have the chorus. His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The ancient seal by heavy stone. Messiah still and all alone. All right, so we have a second verse in the song which is his body bound and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb, the entrance sealed by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. You know, now that you mentioned the second verse here, I notice that this song is doing something that I, I think has become more common in the last decade or so. And that is to have two verses precede the chorus. Yeah. Right. It's not. It's not the simple like A chorus, B chorus, C chorus, D chorus template, mm -hmm. but it has two verses before a chorus. Lots of build up. Yeah, getting everybody excited. Um, or in this case, <laughs> right? Get okay. It. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Not in this case. Um, well, it opens with his lifeless uh, body being bound and drenched in tears, and this is an interesting, I will say, embellishment on the story in John 19, because um, Joseph of Arimathea asks Pilate for Christ's body, mm -hmm. and he, Joseph, is secretly a follower of Christ. He's, mm -hmm. He feels somewhat threatened by the authorities, and so he's going to secretly um, ask for this body. And then Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea wrap his body in linens with spices. We can read about this in John 19, 38 and the yeah. following verses. And uh, is, it, is it wrong to say his body was drenched in tears? I don't think I would say it's wrong, but it's something that Scripture is not clear mm -hmm. about and so it's it's stepping into i almost said stray i don't think it's straying but it's stepping into areas that a scripture is not given clear evidence for and so i think that's where we need to be a little bit more cautious about sure. asserting things now is it is it conceivable that he was mourned even with great weeping by people who loved him it is conceivable to me yeah i, I would even say likely yeah yeah so um, it's an embellishment. I don't think it's a very problematic one. Um, 
it's also interesting that his body is bound at all, and it points to the fact that the the Jewish leaders who had been calling for his crucifixion were aware of the curse that a body hanging on a tree was mm. um, because they initially wanted the bodies, um, they wanted the legs broken and the bodies brought down because the next day was not only a Sabbath, but a very holy Passover. So um, it thematically, it's interesting that his body is taken down and, and bound uh, in linens at all. Mm-hmm. But yes, this describes him being um, uh, wrapped and laid in the tomb, which we know happened, and the entrance sealed by a great heavy stone so that, um, you know, things would not come in or out. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have Messiah still and all alone. Now, this still is curious because um, still can mean, well, first of all, it can mean silent, but it can also mean unmoving, but it can also mean yet. So nonetheless, the Messiah, if that oh, makes sense. Like okay. he is, Yes, he has been uh, sacrificed in this way, but uh, he is the Messiah still. I wondered mm. if that was meant or not, um, but he is the anointed one, the Redeemer, the Messiah still, and all alone in this tomb. I mentioned earlier how the scene is entered into through a mediator or even a kind of protagonist, maybe. That person is now gone. Like at this point, there's there's now just description of what happened, which is nice that 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 we 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 have a subjective aspect to get ourselves to the cross. Like there's an acknowledgement in the first verse of we have to kind of imagine this. We're not at the cross, but let's put our thinking in that. Let's let's try to think about that. And then at this point, there's no more. Let's try to think about this. Let's try to think about this. I see this. I hear that. It's just, this is what was. This is what was. This is what was. So, works really well. And, yeah, like you, I don't have a huge issue with the tears thing. It seems reasonable. But, like you, I also think we just have to always be a little bit extra cautious with these sorts of things. So, I don't think they've gone into a bad place. But they're, they're kind of approaching a line, right? If you've got lane assist in your car, you know that what happens is, right, is it doesn't kick in, but then as you start to get close to that line, it, it kicks in. Of course, correct. And yeah. if anyone thinks that's too pedantic, um, imagine if I had said his body bound and drenched in tears, running from, you know, running yeah, down right. his cold head and like all this stuff where yeah. scripture is not clear about. And there's actually a ton of literature from, like uh, contemplative uh, priests and monks in the Middle Ages, and they were really meditating on this. There's even a, a poem called "The Dream of the Rude" in Old English, uh, referring to the cross, and it's it's all this embellished stuff that's not certain things may not be wrong, but they're not given to us in Scripture, and so it leaves all this room for wild interpretation. That's not what's going on here, of course, but yeah. it's important. And in your response, Colin, I thought how how much I liked that this song says I cast my mind to mm, Calvary. Sure. So not my, not my feelings, feelings or my heart. And not that the mind is better than the heart or the feelings or anything mm. like that, but that what we're doing here is not a, um, you know, a, a, a kind of emotive 
passion yeah. session, but really yeah. a, a worthwhile thought experiment. We're reflecting. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like, yeah, I said thought experiment. That's not entirely correct, but yeah, we are being reflected. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord our God. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. For endless days we will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord, our God. Um, so we are encouraged to praise the name of the Lord. And we, this one thing that did kind of bother me, I suppose, is that the name isn't given anywhere in the song. So okay. is, I don't think, I don't think I see that. Oh, no, it is. At the very end of the song, we do see the name Jesus. Okay. So, um, Yes, we're supposed to praise the name of the Lord, and that is Jesus. Um, we're supposed to praise his name forevermore, which we will do uh, into eternity, which is mentioned in the next line, for endless days. We will sing your praise, O Lord, O Lord our God. So we have both the title Lord, which is given to a ruler, and God, which is given to a deity, of course, um, in our God. So I think good. Yeah, I, on the whole, this is just a nice, reflective chorus. I'll say two things that I find interesting about it. One is the this reference to endless days. I couldn't help but think about Amazing Grace. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a, whether intentional or not, just a little bit of a callback to a, a standard that many Christians would know and find familiar and therefore would help this song have some legitimacy or impact i guess we might say the other thing that i found interesting what's that it's just interesting even it includes the rhyming scheme of amazing grace right yeah. we've no less days to sing god's praise yes they kept not only this concept but the same two words rhyming with each other so that then suggests that it might be intentional yeah because yeah well Anyway, okay, so so that suggests it might be intentional. The other thing that I find interesting about this chorus just has to do with its structure in the song. So the verses prior to this chorus are a little bit heavy in that they are focusing on the crucifixion. And we end with the Messiah being still and alone. And then... When you read the lyrics, it's just like, oh, praise the name. It's sort of like, I don't know, we're, we're taken down into mm -hmm. the, the moment of Christ's death. And then the chorus just kind of comes in. Mm -hmm. Not quite happy clappy, but sort of. And it, at first I was like, this seems kind of jarring. But I will say, when I actually then listened to the song and watched it being performed, it didn't, not that it bothered me before, but it just seemed a little bit little bit mm. jarring, but it, it was less problematic when you had the music kind of um, helping to support the words, because what it almost seemed like is, yeah, there's this really dark moment in that Christ is suffering and dying. He's alone and he, he dies. Of course, we know what's going to happen. So we can say, oh, praise the name. 
Yeah. Um, so in a sense, it, it works. I think it works better musically actually hmm. than it does in terms of just the lyrics. It, it, it almost has a kind of irony if there's just the lyrics. It's like, why are we praising when yeah. it's just died? Yeah. Because if we look at it naively, we would say this is not a moment for right. a triumphant chorus. Right. But as you've said, we know yes. the end of the story. Yeah. Uh, and we know that what was intended for right. evil by all of these people, God redeemed for the greatest good right. ever. And so it is, uh, ironically, a moment of great triumph. Yeah. And so it was one of these things where I thought, okay, actually having the music and there are ways of, this is a way in which I felt like the music, the kind of the whole, the whole experience of the song helped me a little bit to reflect on what was happening and what its meaning was in a good way. <laughs> that just reading the lyrics didn't do. His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The ancient seal by heavy stone, Messiah still and all alone. And then on the third at break of dawn, the Son of Heaven rose again. O trampled death, where is your sting? The angels roar for Christ the King. Okay. Let me start with the obvious. This is referencing 1 Corinthians 15.55, um, which itself is citing Hosea 13.14. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So um, in the resurrection of Christ, um, death is robbed of its power, its victory, and its sting. On the third is meant to mean on the third day. They don't say that. It's clear, I think, from what from context what's happening. Um, but of course, it's when we talk about days and the third, um, you might be inclined to think it's a third of a month or a yeah, third of sure. something like that. But that's not what's happening. It's a third day. It's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. It's just, I think they just ran out of syllables. Yeah, they didn't have enough syllables, so they used this substantive. Jesus is called the Son of Heaven. Why do we call him the Son of Heaven? Is it just because we needed the syllable? Because he's the Son of God. Um I think this is an embellishment that is actually distracting. It did distract me. Yeah. Um, it's like calling someone a, well, Skywalker, like Luke Skywalker, <laughs> like a sky child or something like that. Why call someone the son of the place that they're from right. rather than what scripture gives us, which is son of God? It's, I don't even think, have you ever seen son of heaven used before? I know I've heard this phrase, but I don't know where. Certainly, I don't think in scripture, but again, maybe. We're wrong about that. Maybe there's some, maybe this is some title for Christ that we're unaware of. But yeah, why would you use an inferior title when you have a better title? It's not untrue. He is the son of heaven in a sense. But well, yeah, why not just say son of God? Bethel Music has a song called Son of Heaven, which we might look uh... at later. And... It appears that Son of Heaven is the sacred imperial title of the Chinese emperor. So <laughs> that's not what they mean here, of course. No. But, um, I, I wonder if it's referencing that Bethel song, whether they're kind of creating their own uh, self-references now in this kind of movement of 
music. Yeah, if anyone can correct us, yeah, or correct me, I should say, and yeah. if anyone knows where this is used in the Bible or in um, Christian theology, yeah. that would be worthwhile to know. But Again, I find it distracting yeah. personally. Not wrong. Not well. Okay. Well, he okay. Is, he is. Yes, he is from heaven. Yeah, yes. in that sense. Yes. Yes. I won't be pedantic about that. Yeah. Oh, trampled death. Where's your thing? I like this that death has been. Um, not only robbed of its sting, but trampled. So mm. not just defeated, but really ground into yeah. the dust. It reminds me of um, in Genesis. Yeah, nice reference promise. to Genesis, Genesis 3. That's yeah. Right. So, um, the, and then we have, again, I think another, this is another space where the song has moved out of what we can, well, the song says the angels roar. It's not unreasonable to think right. that they would cheer triumphantly. We know that they rejoice right. with sinners who repent. Right. So I think we can infer that they rejoice when Christ is resurrected. Yeah. Um, but it is an innovation, yeah. which, you know, just pricks the spidey sense. It's sort of like, okay, let's go. Ooh, Maybe. Okay, okay. It's probably okay. Yeah. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. He shall return in robes of white. The blazing sun shall pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Yes. So, like I said, this is referencing his second coming, and he's uh, wearing robes of white, and he is called, I think this is him, the blazing sun, with a U, sun, yeah. piercing the night. So I wonder, if is this, um, what is the the night here? Is it just a sinful world? Yeah, I don't know. I thought this was... I didn't really want to get into too much detail on this, but I actually thought this sounded like a rapture moment because it sounds like oh, um, I will rise among the saints. Obviously, we you know those saints who have died will rise from the dead, um, but even um, the ones who are living are raised as well. Yeah, so, it's interesting because in the verse prior to this, we have a bunch of great things happening: the angels roaring and. Death has been trampled, and the Son of Heaven rises again. So, yeah, where is the the night coming from? Yeah, mm. Why is it bad again? And this is why I thought this was a uh, a kind of rapture descriptor, even though they don't say that or give a ton of clues. But you can possibly not. I'm not saying certainly, but possibly infer it. So, if we have a post tribulation yeah. rapture where mm. People have been suffering for a thousand years. Well, I think or, seven years, yeah. Yeah, people have been enduring this great, great suffering. Um, yeah, the millennium would follow the rapture um, in that, in mm -hmm. most of those theological traditions. Um, that would be the night, this great tribulation that yeah. people experience, and then they're raptured and set free. Uh, obviously, there are different interpretations to that. Uh, it's all based on how you interpret Revelation chapter 20. And a few other things, too. Which, okay, so, and that, so can I add to this? Yeah. And that is Daniel chapter yeah. seven. Because I was trying to think, does Christ have white robes anywhere? And at first I was like, I don't remember him actually having white robes. I know that the resurrected are clothed in white. 
And I was like, okay, well, he rides a white horse in Revelation. He sits on a white throne in Revelation. And he's even on a white cloud in Revelation. But no white clothes. He's in bright clothes in the Transfiguration, which could be white, but they're bright. Um, but in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, which is, this is, these are important chapters to premillennial dispensationalists, people who believe in a rapture. Um, there is an ancient of days in white, and that, that is Christ, pretty sure. And when we meet the writer in Revelation on the white horse, his robe is said to be dipped in blood, mm-hmm. right? Which presumably you wouldn't notice if the robe were a oh, similar yeah, sure. color I guess to that's blood. True. And then also the armies that follow after him are in white linens. Yeah. And so it doesn't say that he's wearing white, but there are several yeah, cues maybe some, that would yeah. lead you to infer that he's wearing white. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, but yeah, that, that passage from Daniel is very yeah. compelling. As so well. you're right. There may be an eschatological, just the slightest, right? Maybe if you're a premillennial dispensationalist or someone who believes in a literal rapture, this would kind of speak to you on a subtle level. Maybe. In ways maybe it doesn't speak to us. Yes. And I think no matter what your views on the end times are, uh, we can all sing these words and say, yes, uh, at the end of time, as we know it, when Christ comes back, we will rise yeah. with the saints. Um, but, and, oh, go ahead. Oh, what's, what's the but? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, well, no, it's, I guess it's an and. Um, so all of these crazy, awesome things are happening. We're being raised and blazing sun and all these cool things are happening. And yet that last line is really nice. My gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Interesting, yeah. Right? So we think of whatever happens at the end as being so stunning and crazy, right? It's going to be all this judgment going on, and people raising, being raised from the dead, and trumpets blaring. Like, there's all these cool things that are happening when we read about the end times. And yet, rightly, I think, this song calls us to the reason for all of that right? it's christ it's yeah for god's glory yeah and so we of course will be transfixed on christ the whole purpose of all that is not for the cool stuff in and of itself it's to it's to finish the work that christ began of rescuing a people to glorify him mm-hmm. it's, it's a nice line mm-hmm. actually really nice I had a lot to say about this verb transfixed, actually. Was, okay. I thought it was interesting because I, I thought it was interesting because originally it meant something like pierced through and immobilized through piercing. Like you can imagine um, sticking something to the wall with a pin or even larger, like a spear. Uh-huh. And typically now it's used figuratively. So with an emotion, we will be um, fixed or, or held still, held motionless through mm-hmm. maybe awe, fear. Um, and so we can see someone's gaze really um, pierced, in a sense, with awe and mm. perhaps love and um, maybe some terror as well Yeah. Um, on the face of Jesus, the gaze really held there. Yeah. Um, and I wondered, because, because it originally meant pierced through, if it could have been pointing back to Christ being pierced on the cross as well. Um, there's a passage 
from Anna Jamin's Anna Jameson from 1850, and she's talking about this. I'm not saying that this happened, but I'm saying what she wrote is interesting linguistically. She's talking about this monastic order, um, and, and she talks about this uh, woman who was absorbed in rapturous devotion. She was transfixed, that is, received the stigmata. So she, uh-huh. she was, her hands, you yeah. know, reportedly were pierced through. And I didn't know if that verb choice here was meant to point to Jesus as being um, literally transfixed on the cross mm-hmm. or not. But in all, I think it's a very good, good line with yeah. some subtle things that we could ask them about if we had them here, but we don't have them here. Yeah. I love it. I think it's one of the best lines that Hillsong have written. I really like it. Nice. All right. Well, Tyler, that gets us through all of the lyrics. And yeah. so now we should probably do some summing up. Can I get from you just your sense of how you think this song does in just in terms of evaluating it, thinking about its content? Yeah. I think with any song that starts with what could be seen as a, a mere thought experiment, mm-hmm. um, this one transcends that. And it goes yeah. beyond simply thinking and, um, goes into the realm of reflection and praise, where we really contemplate what happened historically, and then we call each other to praise of Christ for what happened. And we state things, not just about what happened, but about what we know is coming. Mm -hmm. Christ is coming back. And I think this this song does that pretty well. I will add one caveat and say, it tends to stray out of what can be clearly stated from Scripture, in my understanding of Scripture, sure. which I realize is subjective, um, and into things that I don't think Scripture gives us grounds to say with certainty, yeah. if that makes sense. They're sure. not, there's, there's a difference between saying something that Scripture doesn't give us clear grounds for, but that we can infer, mm-hmm. and something that Scripture does not give us clear grounds for, and we cannot infer. Sure. None of these things, I think, are things that we cannot infer from different scriptural yeah. elements. These aren't big problems for sure. They they do cause certainly a person like myself and obviously you a bit of pause. And in that sense, I mean, you used a good word when you talked about it earlier, distracting. Like these things might be distracting for the critical listener, whom we would hope everybody would be a critical listener. I would hope that people are not just going into churches that sing things that aren't the word of God and they're just kind of turning off their brain. Yeah, you know. or even going into churches that do only sing yeah, you know, the word too. of God sure, and sure. not paying attention to what they're saying. Yeah. Fair enough. I think God frowns upon both of that, or I would think so. Yeah. So, um, so all this is just to say, this is, I'll just echo what you said. I think this is a pretty strong song. There's, there, there's a lot of some good specificity here. Gospel, Christ, crucifixion, resurrection. I mean, Apart from those distractions, this this definitely meets the mark for me. Okay, Tyler, what did you give the song as a rating? Four out of five Mickeys. Oh my goodness, it's going to be nice. <laughs> because the, uh, well, so four because it's it's very <laughs> it's... good, and I have some reservations. Um, <laughs> Mickeys because the stage is laid out in a circle, and then we have these two things hanging almost like baubles from a Christmas tree on either side of the top of the circle. And it looked like really clever Disney advertising because we have um, on the upper two things that look like Mickey Mouse's ears, the guy's face, and he's, you know, singing this song. Um, 
And I wanted to say Mickey Mice because it would be the plural of Mickey Mouse, but I've never seen that plural used. And I didn't want it to be too weird because it's weird enough already, Colin. That's why I said Mickey's. What did you give this song? Four to five Disney mouses. <gasps> no way! <laughs> Are you serious? I'm not joking. Wow, you saw it too. I wonder yeah. if maybe either something is wrong with both of us. No, we've been programmed, Tyler. Okay. This. I can't see three circles arrayed in yep. that way. If without... anybody doubts the power of logos and branding and hmm. corporate media and, you know, advertising, let this episode be a stark warning. Wow. We did not see circles. We saw. Mm. Well, hi, boys and girls. <laughs> I see him on the steamboat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Colin is Colin is doing the Mickey Mouse steamboat. What does that thing tell right you? Now. Instead of geometric objects, we saw. Yeah, we saw a trademark. You know. Yeah. Well, to be fair, to be fair, they weren't just three circles. They were three circles of the right proportions to one another and with the right proximity to sure. each other to, to be that. Of course, yeah, you could say, well, why didn't I see um, a water molecule? Because yeah, that also right. looks like Mickey Mouse's head, if you yeah. want to think of it that way. Um, I don't know. but That's fascinating. Some, some anthropologist or yeah. psychologist or somebody needs to, needs to get on this. Yeah. All right. They need to fix our heads. Please. Thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Disney Review. We will be back again, as I said, next week with Christmassy Adventy songs. I'm doing the sleigh bells. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to put those in the. I'll put those in the theme music. Okay. Yeah, we'll get the bells. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to The Worship Review. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, or email us at feedback at theworshipreview.com. We accept donations at anchor.fm slash theworshipreview and patreon.com slash theworshipreview. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.